If you would, you can uh, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. I'm really not going to stick strictly to that passage and uh, uh, more so use it as a springboard into to what I try to get into. It was particularly difficult for me at least to kind of zone in on one particular thing whenever the whole book is really not necessarily sectioned out that way. In fact, it's more of just a, a continuous argument. So to give a little bit of a, a background on the book of Galatians, uh, of course, it's written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in Galatia. And as you can see through the first two chapters, there are false teachers that have crept in and they have started teaching uh, the people in those churches, you know, the members of those churches, that they had to be circumcised or, or follow some of the precepts of the law and Judaism and combine it with Christianity to be saved. So, of course, Paul uh, writes really a scathing letter in some places where he is just uh, noticeably, emotionally, uh, severely impacted by what's going on here extremely disappointed in the Galatians and um, distraught over the situation that's going on with the false teachers coming in. And we see that in verses such as uh, verse 7 of chapter 1, that they're preaching a gospel in verse 7, which it says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. So to my main text in chapter 3, with that set up, um, I'll go ahead and start reading in, in verse 10 and uh, read down from there. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written... Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. So up until this point in chapters 1 and 2, Paul's giving more of a, uh, a vindication of his apostleship. Of course, he states the, the issue, he talks about the false teachers, and then he vindicates his apostleship by talking about uh, the fact that he didn't get this gospel from everybody else. You know, he didn't pick it up from Peter, James, and John, or just from, uh, from hearsay, but Christ actually appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and that's where he learned his gospel was from Jesus Christ himself. And, of course, we see that in, in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, of course, it continues on, and he proves his point that the other apostles, you know, Peter, James, and John, are in no disagreement about this, that... Um, that, uh, of course, the particular point here, that you don't have to be circumcised to be uh, saved. You don't have to be circumcised or, or become a Jew before you can be a follower of Christ and a, a Christian. So it all comes to a head in chapter 3, where, or really at the end of chapter 2, where the argument starts to, uh, really starts to grab its roots, and he starts to get into the fundamentals of his, of his arguments, which is the law never saved anybody. 
And you can't be saved by the law because the law is what condemns you. The law is your accuser. And as he says, of course, back to the text in in chapter 3, verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And as we went through this book, of course, this was the book we just finished in our Bible study, uh, which is why we're, we're in this book today. It, we can be so detached from this idea, or at least it was that way for me, uh, trying to, to get into the severity of what's going on here, because none of us have ever been, at least to my knowledge, none of us has ever been persecuted simply because we did not follow the law. In fact, if you don't follow the law, you're probably uh, much more in line with the mainstream crowd than you are if, uh, if you are following the law. So it's difficult for us to kind of put ourselves in their shoes and read it as if it was written to us, considering that most people, you know, ourselves included, are not necessarily scholars of the first five books of the Bible, the Mosaic Law. We don't know what sacrifices to do whenever we commit uh, a certain type of sin or what animal we have to kill or something like that because we were brought up, of course, under the gospel dispensation, which is what we've been taught our whole lives, which is, you know, it's Christ is the only way, right? I mean, it's fundamental Christian knowledge. And if we're not careful, we just look at that and we go, yes, you know, you you believe on Christ and it's... um, that's how we're saved, and I acknowledge that, and I know that, and uh, I, I feel pretty good about uh, where I stand with that. And my point is not to to overcomplicate that or to misconstrue it, but my point is to say that this subject was not just for the Galatians, and it's not as uncommon as we may think it is, despite the fact that... Um, that it's not necessarily presenting itself in the same exact way that it was then. It's the same truth for a different time because in all reality, there's only two places that anybody on the entire planet can be in, and that's either under the law and seeking to be justified by works, or it's under or really in Christ. So, of course... Uh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but he says as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse of the law. And I want to turn to uh, to Romans 3 here for just a minute, and I'll read that passage because Romans 3 states something very similar to that, which we'll all be familiar with. And I'll read 9 through 20. What then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise, for we have proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they have together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, with their mouths, with their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips." whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. 
There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And I'll stop right there before I get to the the application of the passage. And what we read there, that is a pretty serious uh, accusation. It's pretty serious condemnation. But whenever we look at it, and it's black and white, and we read the law, the law says, the first commandment, Brother, Brother Lewis quoted it from Deuteronomy this morning, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And just from the very get-go, from before the first commandment is even completely finished, the whole world, not just me, not just you, the whole world, everybody that's ever been born is under the condemnation of the law because we are born in sin and we're born predisposed to sin and we're guilty under this condemnation of the law. And you look, of course, in, in places like uh, like Deuteronomy and, and Deuteronomy chapter... Let me turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Just so we kind of get a better idea of what the curse is that he's talking about here. I'm sorry. Deuteronomy 28. It seems I wrote down the wrong reference. So I'm just going to quote it from memory best I can because I've lost my, my reference there. But God goes on to say as he's stating the law, or Moses is repeating the law, he's talking about, you know, if, if you do not continue in all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them, you'll be cursed. And he goes on and he lists all the curses that he's talking about. And it's, you know, the loss of your property, the loss of your family. Everyone's going to look at you and wonder, you know, what this man did against God to sin so wickedly. And, and um, it goes on forever. And it talks about all of the bad things that will happen if somebody neglects the law and goes on presumptuously and, and sins against it, which from the get-go, like I said, we're all under that condemnation of the very first commandment of the law. And I say all that not just to, uh, you know, to talk about the law and give some sort of, of lecture on that, but the whole point of the book of Galatians and really the book of Romans is that implies... It doesn't just imply it. It states that there's a problem, and there's a problem with all of us, and there's a uh, solution to that problem. Uh, in Ezekiel 18, verse 4, I'll read that. Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And I'll turn back to Galatians and get to get to the main point, which is sin is not something that just, you know, it doesn't happen in a, in a vacuum. That's something my dad says all the time. Sin doesn't just happen 
and then it it goes out like a word and it just it, it doesn't affect anybody or it doesn't mean anything you know sometimes it does and sometimes it has consequences but you know if i uh do something with the wrong intentions or if i i think the the wrong thought you know it it really does not uh do much and really to the to the naked eye the unenlightened eye it seems that way because to truly understand that condemnation of the law, we have to understand God. And to understand God, one of the very fundamental things to understand about God is that he's a holy God. And one of the things that they say uh, that the angels are constantly saying in the throne room is holy, holy, holy. And to be holy means that God is set apart. And for God to be set apart means that he's set apart from, from something or someone. And he's set apart from everything, from everybody. And... Not only us in, you know, in a natural state, a normal state, I mean, you know, Adam in the Garden of Eden, this, uh, this neutral, um, state of innocence almost, he's far below God. And now you add on to a layer of that whenever man has sinned against his maker and man has sinned grievously against his maker, not just one time, but throughout our, the whole course of our lives, We've sinned against God, and that law is starting to look a lot more intimidating and a lot more um, fearful than it would have um, if, if we didn't know all of that. So what does he say next? Of course, in, in verse 11, he says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. And before I move on, I want to notice uh, it says, In the sight of God that no man is justified, that is, made righteous or made right. No man is justified by the law and the sight of God. It is evident. And the way my mind kind of processes that, and this isn't Strong's concordance talking, this is just the way I read it, it is obvious that nobody is justified by the law because the law only proclaims thou shalt, you know, it's condemnation, it's works-based. And he already said in verse 10, that if you don't continue in all the things of the law, then you're cursed. And then he says uh, later in this chapter, in um, let's see if I can find it here. But he says uh, in verse 22, But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to all them that believe. So the scripture, of course, being the law, concludes all under sin or proves all under sin. And no man can be justified by the law. And you kind of start to think at this point, what in the world is going on in Galatia? Because when you when you really start to put it pen to paper, you think you have to be really silly to think that this law that they know much better than we did, no doubt, at least most of them did. You know, it's a there's Jews and Gentiles in this group, so. Uh, that's speculation, but they knew the law. These Judaizers knew the law very well. And we can think, how dumb do you have to be to want to go to the law when you have this promise of the gospel, this promise of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ? Um, you know, when you, whenever you just compare them side by side, you think, well, this is a much easier option if you're taking a test and you go, option A um, fulfill the whole law and, you know, don't offend in one point or option B, you know, just 
believe and be saved. And of course, that's way oversimplifying it. And I'm, you know, putting that out just for, that's the way our minds work whenever we read that, is we do oversimplify it and we think, well, they're just, you know, we say what Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians, you know, who's, who has, who hath bewitched you into, uh, into this nonsense or this folly, really? But it's not that simple because if any of us look at how we act on a day-to-day basis or what makes us feel a certain way, we're very inclined towards a works-based salvation. And, you know, we asked that question in the Bible study. Why is that? Why do we think that knowing all of what Scripture says about us, you know, like Brother Lewis mentioned this morning in Ezekiel, um, not in that specific passage, but earlier in Ezekiel it talks about um, this picture of Israel in their sin and they're covered in blood and they're dirty and they're naked and they're just despicable looking. Uh, They're disgusting looking. And we read all of what Scripture says about us and about our weakness and about our sins and about the judgment for those sins. And we still have this inclination to think, yes, that's true. And I'm going to, I'm going to agree with that. You know, I'm going to mentally ascend to that information, which just simply means, you know, we, we agree with it, but practically we're just like the Judaizers whenever we go out and we think that we can do our own thing and we feel good because, you know, I, I, um, I pair up nicely compared to the rest of the, the evangelicals today. You know, I feel pretty good about myself. We, we worship the right way. And, you know, I go to church three times a week and I do this, that, and the other thing. And we never actually really put that into words in our minds, which is what tricks us so easily. It's how we act that puts that, um, it's how we act that proves that is the way we think. Because we'll, you know, we'll never put that into words, but we will act on that idea. And now, what I mean by that is that phrase, in the sight of God. No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. But we can be justified by the law in the sight of everybody else. And we can be justified by the law in our own eyes because we think that, you know, while I've offended in this point, yes, um, I've repented of that, you know, and I, I, uh, I do a lot of things well, you know, I, I love my family or I do this, that or the other. And again, you could, you could list off those things. And in, in reality, it's different for everybody. But the point of the matter is we are completely and utterly condemned and helpless and lost under the law. And there is zero hope. There's no hope whatsoever that any of our works can merit so much of a sliver of God's favor or tip the scale in so much as a millimeter towards our favor whenever it is weighed against our our guilt or our sin debt because there's no possibility of performing any good work outside of the Spirit of God. And what I mean by that is an unregenerate person can't help an old lady across the street. But what I mean is if that work is not performed in a manner that is to bring glory to God, then it's 
it's sin. You know, the sacrifice of the wicked is sin. The prayer of the, the wicked is an abomination. And we read those passages. And eventually, you know, you start to think, if you, if you really dwell on those things, and if you really believe them, and you see it with the eye of faith, and you start to think, boy, I am in a really good, really good mess right here. You know, this is a pretty big problem. But thankfully, the book does not stop there. And thankfully, the, the whole Bible doesn't stop there. Because we have this quote at the verse, uh, at the end of verse 11. Um, the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man doeth them, that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And that's really the whole purpose of the law, is to bring us to that point. And it says this later in, in chapter 3. But that's the whole point of the law, is to bring us to that point to where we acknowledge we acknowledge our, our guilt and we acknowledge our weakness and our frailty and really our, our despicableness before God. And we look to the answer that he's provided, which is his son, Jesus Christ, of course. And it says, the just shall live by faith. And as I read that, that's the one, you know, the one phrase that stuck out to me the most while reading this. And the way I've always read it was, the just shall live by faith. So day by day, you know, the, the just man lives by faith. So, of course, you know, as, I, uh, as you go throughout your day, you're, you're, you're living by the faith of the Son of God. So you're, you're ordering your life around that belief that Christ is, is your Savior. Christ died for you. And now you owe everything that you have to him because he is the way, the truth, and the life, the fountain of living waters that is the, the answer for every question that the universe has. And as I thought about it more, there's really another way to look at that, at least look at it from a different angle. And I may be wrong on this, but um, I think that the, uh, it's not incorrect doctrinally which is the just shall live by faith. And um, let's see, I have it written down here. But um, the just by faith shall live. And, uh, of course, you know, that's not original with me. I had thought about it and thought about it, and uh, I read a couple other things, and I read that quote. And as I mold it over, you know, the just by faith shall live. Grammar is really an odd thing. Whenever you actually start trying to diagnose a sentence, you start to realize that it can mean uh, a lot of, or you could take a lot of different things from it. And possibly that's just me overthinking a, uh, a phrase. But anyways, uh, my thoughts on that were the just by faith, which is the justified man, the man that is made just, of course, by faith, shall live. The man who is made just by faith shall live. And it's really this whole uh, 
puts it into perspective, this life and death, faith or works um, issue that we have here, which is faith is the only possible way. Faith, not just, you know, in some abstract ideology or some random um, made up deity that, that we choose to, you know, um, indulge our, our fancies, you know, in, but faith in Christ and Christ alone is the only way to life, which, of course, you know, like I said, and like Scripture says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so uh, that's the main point. And there's so much, and that's why I had so much difficulty with this, because faith in Christ, there are so many different ways to describe that. And there's so many different ways to say, okay, well, well, that means, you know, you do this, that, and the other thing. Or that means, uh, you know, you, you do this. And it was difficult to try to, you know, compartmentalize that and get a good definition on it. And I think that's just me overcomplicating it as I've thought through it. Because it's quite simple, you know, whenever we look at it, the just shall live by faith in Jesus Christ, and God sent his son to die so that we may have life by believing on him. And the reason that it's such a big deal for us to think that we can be justified by our works and justified by the law and that we think we can contribute any part to our own salvation. And we got to remember that's what's going on here. At least that's the way it seemed to me is that they're not trying to do away with the whole thing. They're just trying to mix it in. You know, you have to be circumcised and then you can be saved. So that, you know, this one little thing that you have to do and then the rest of it's Christ. But you have to do this one little thing and you can uh, contribute just a hair. And you can kind of get a little bit of glory for that. And the rest of it, of course, is Christ. The reason that's such a big deal is because Brother Lewis said it perfectly this morning. It's not as if God is just being, um, which, of course, you know, you kind of shake to say stuff like this, even though, you know, you, you get the context in which I'm saying it. It's not as if God is just um, this glory hound that, you know, in the sense that we think of it, where you see this guy make a, a basketball shot or something like that, and he's putting his arms up and he's asking everybody to compliment him. Such a foolish comparison, but God is worthy of all that we have, all that we are, and he has sent his son, which is the perfect image and, and likeness of him, to be our, our savior so that we would believe on him and let go of all of our vain hopes, be dead to the world, be dead to our works, be dead to the law, so that we can live for and by him. And if even a little bit of glory is taken from that, then it's a perversion of the gospel. Because the only way it works is if Christ gets all of the glory and all of the fame and all of the credit, and we concede to that, we agree with that, and we worship him for it, and we acknowledge that. 
But the problem is not acknowledging that. The problem is living that way. Because not only does Christ have to begin the work, or God have to begin the work, but he also has to continue it. And it's only through Christ that the believer even gets started on his road and continues every minute of the day, or uh, the only way he can continue every minute of the day is through Christ. And if any sort of uh, credit, of course, goes to us, then it's robbery from God and from Christ himself who paid the whole price and who um, was subject to the curse of the law in our stead. And we have no right to lay claim to anything that he did or lay claim to any of the, the righteousness that has been imputed onto us as if we did anything. And this isn't meant to be, a, you know, a Debbie Downer. That's the best news that we could have received, right? Because if we're working for our own righteousness or if we're looking for our own righteousness to be saved, if any of us have any sort of self-awareness at all, that makes us sweat a ton. Uh, it makes us very worried because we all know ourselves, at least to some extent. We know that even the very best of what we can do is tainted with sin. But there's an answer for that. The problem is we just have to take hold of that answer and we have to believe that answer. You see, faith, we, we think of it a lot of times as this one-time deal to where and a lot of this is because of the way that it's presented so much. It's this one-time deal, you know, you believe on Christ and, and uh, you're saved after that. And then, you know, it's kind of just, that's that. You really don't think any deeper than that. It's just, it is what it is. You know, you, you say some words, you say you believe something, and you go on with the rest of your life as if, as if nothing happened. But the effect that this should have on us, not just up here, but to fill us with joy, it seems to me, certainly, and this is by way of confession, that if this truth was, you know, cemented into my heart and I woke up and I and I believe this day in day out what would I ever have to be upset about or disappointed in or um, discouraged over because this hope that we have in Christ Jesus is all that we have because outside of that, like I said at the, at the beginning, at the outset, you're either under the law, which is condemnation and death and curses, and not, you know, the, the silly type of curses, but, uh, you know, a legitimate curse from the God of the universe, or you're in Christ, in whom dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, as it says in, in Colossians. And that's a convicting thought. And it's a thought that shouldn't just be convicting for the sake of being convicting, because you know that's tricky. We can sometimes think that there's even merit in our convictions, 
We think that because we feel bad about something that we're good people because I feel bad about it. So, you know, um, that's that's got to account for something, right? But none of that matters. None of the, the religious show, the religious um, activities, the, the prayer, the scripture reading, going to church, none of it means anything outside of it being done in a heart that is centered around Christ Jesus. It's like Brother Lewis has been saying for the last few weeks. All of it revolves around what you do with Christ because if you go to church and you sing the songs and you you think you're praising God and you read your Bible and you think you're learning about God and you, and you, you pray and you think you're praying to God, none of that matters if we're not in Christ Jesus. And we can't be in Christ Jesus without believing on him for all of what we have. And I don't mean perfectly, of course. I can see how that could be misconstrued in that way, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to talk about some sort of perfectionist fantasy. But what I am trying to get at is centering our lives around this reality that we're not under the law, we're in Christ, if, of course, we, we are believers in him. And I'll say this um, to wrap it up. It would be a, uh, it would change every church in the whole country if people believed this, you know? And that sounds like such a silly thing to say, and it drives me loony sometimes when I think about it, you know, for me in, in my own head, that we can claim that we believe something, but the way that we act always exposes us. It always exposes the hypocrisy in our hearts that we still have to, you know, to deal with. <laughs> but to truly believe this is to live off of it day by day, to meditate on it, and to let it influence all of our actions and all of our, our mindsets. Because, and I think this is what it's getting at whenever, you know, the scriptures say, with God all things are possible. You know, it's taken out of context a lot. But with God all things are possible. Or, in, you know, the more popular verse in, uh, in, in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ which, uh, who strengtheneth me. Um, and, and, you know, it's taken out of context so much we can kind of write it off whenever we hear it. That's not talking about, you know, sports or anything like that. It's talking about living day-to-day -day life off of the Word of God, off of doing the will of the Father. Later in that chapter in John, it talks about uh, whenever the disciples come back and they ask Christ, you know, and he says, you know, I have food to eat that you know not of. And then they say, you know, did somebody else bring you food? And he says, my meat is to do the will of the Father who sent me, or to do the will of him that sent me. Because Christ never had an issue with believing what his purpose was here on earth. And our purpose here on earth is to glorify God, to worship God, to 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 live for God, and everything else is really just temporary waiting to burn up. And if we believe that, 
then it will completely alter the way that we live. And we have to put in a serious effort to believing that. Not just a head knowledge, but a concentrated effort of making sure that is the way that we're going to to think throughout the day, you know? And um, at the end of the book, which this is where I'll close, uh, in Galatians 6, verse 14, and uh, 14 through 16. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy upon the Israel of God. And that rule, of course, that rule of our life, which is all glory be to Christ, we live off of Him, we live for Him, and we live to Him. It's we thank Him for the past blessings, we ask Him for the present strength to continue on, and of course we look forward to the promises that He's, um, he's told us of in His Word which is that he's going to come back and it's going to be, um, for those under the law, of course, it's going to be the most terrifying thing you could ever think of. But for those in Christ, it's going to be the most joyful occasion uh, of all. And he will continue to receive the glory that he's due for the rest of eternity. And um, I'll close with this, this thought. I think sometimes we can think once we get to the other side, you know, uh, something's going to change. And, of course, there is going to be a massive change. But I forget who said it. But, um, and I really don't want to paraphrase it or, or mess it up too bad. But I think it was Pink talking about, you know, the sinner would be just as miserable in heaven um, as he is anywhere else, or, or heaven would be miserable for the sinner because heaven is all about giving glory to God and the sinner never wanted to do that on earth anyways. You know, he always wanted to serve himself and to please himself and he's not going to be able to do any of that in heaven. And, you know, my point in saying that is to prepare ourselves for, for what comes after by getting into the habit of giving God the glory that he's due. Um, because if we don't enjoy it now, then, you know, we're, we don't believe it. And we need to make that effort uh, to believe that and to live according to, to what we believe. I did not set a timer up, so I'm really hoping that I didn't go five minutes or 45 minutes. So, but um, that's how I'll close.